0: set up some ground rules for when all three Toronto sports teams play at the same time because I think you got in my head yesterday when you talked about tweeting about one as opposed to the other and feeling disrespectful towards the other or giving the impression that you weren't paying attention to one and only the other. We need to figure this out.
1: Mine is very simple. I watched... The Blue Jays game started first, so I turned that on and I watched, I think, the first two innings before the hockey game started. I recorded the Raptors game because, let's be honest, I can watch a little bit of Freddie Gillespie play the whole game on Fast Forward. (laughs) I actually have I actually have a lot of Freddie Gillespie. No, you later. don't. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay, I do.
0: well, stay tuned. That's coming up yeah. later on this hour. Freddie Gillespie, have, the former well, D three player. Where, where was he from?
1: I genuinely have like five things from that Raptors game that I want to talk about, but I'm going to do them later because <laughs> they're not as urgent. We should have done the show, the uh, warm the warm up show is going to be better than the show today. We talked about old man things where we complained about how there's too much scoring in the NBA during our pre-Zoom meeting, how we missed the days of Anthony Mason Mm -hmm. and the Davis brothers who weren't brothers smashing each other down in the paint, the days where you didn't think your NBA team could win unless you had a dominant center. Mm -hmm. Then we talked about Andrea Bargnani and whether you thought he could win. Yeah. Oh yeah. We talked about A-Rod. And whether or not you should know who A-Rod is if you're 22, 21 years old.
0: It's coming up later.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think I made the best comparison ever between cross-sport athletes, which is that Andrea Bargnani and Alex Rios were the exact same guy. Exact same constitution. I know Rios had more success, but Bargnani was pretty decent at the very beginning, two numbers-wise. I, I think that's the same. They're, they're the same guy. And yeah today was just it was a good warm up it was a good warm up show but yeah okay, so I watched all those games. I fast forward through Raptors. What do you think of those purple uniforms by the way? I got I all know, kinds like of things per no, my head. no no no
0: no 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 yeah. no to purple i'm I'm out on purple entirely, especially when it 's just like a featured little piece i like, yeah. i can I can deal with it if it's we're going all in on purple, but a little bit of purple no 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 yeah. i anyone that that uh, reminisces wistfully about the raptors' uniforms of old. It's hilarious to me because it it's they they were never good. They only look good to you now because there was a championship between then and now, right? And yeah. you're like anything Raptors is good now. No. Retroactively you don't get to change your mind on the aesthetic no. appeal of the yeah. jersey. It's bad. It it's bad. Now it was bad then, it'll be now, it'll be bad for the rest of time.
1: It's just to me it was they came into the league and the NBA said, "Hey, thanks for all this money." You're going to get no players. And here's your little clown costumes (laughs) that you got to (laughs) play you clowns. (laughs) Just so everyone remembers.
0: For an intro, you know, uh, in San Jose, the sharks (laughs) that come through the shark head. So we bring down the lights. We have the fog. And then it's a Volkswagen Beetle. And it's painted all different colors. Purple, though. Mostly beep, purple. Beep. Yeah. And then you get
2: out of the clown car in your yeah. clown suits. What do
1: Here you comes a dinosaur. or clown. clown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Barney. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I – I, it sucks that they're just always going to be stapled to the purple and that – they won a championship with the name Raptors because now yes. you can never change it. There was no. just this brief moment in time where Huskies was on the table and Huskies. I know Huskies yeah. is generic and it's it doesn't the matter. Color scheme, yeah, no, color, color scheme, scheme yeah. Everything.
0: Yeah. everything. The yeah. court, the logo, I loved it.
1: Also it was right weren't there.
0: They,
1: weren't they like undefeated in the Huskies gear? That it, there was this thing where it was DeRozan in the Huskies uniforms is just unbeatable, and yeah, still to this day I buy that. If you traded for DeRoz, if, sorry, if you signed DeRozan this off-season and went to the Huskies uniforms, Raptors would win a championship. I, How has I, there
0: not been a documentary series on what exactly happened there? Because you cannot convince me that this team was not headed in that direction with the we the North thing. With the debuting of the Huskies uniforms, with yeah. the court that they were not thinking a rebrand, a la the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, was about to take place, know. and then things happened, and it, it doesn't end up, it doesn't end up happening. But you cannot convince me yeah. that that wasn't the plan, and I need to hear what exactly happened.
1: Yeah, well, I'm over it. They won. They, they. I think the We the North thing rebrand was so good that it just actually appreciated Raptors even more, that it just became a synonymous logo, a synonymous... It just it made the Raptors cooler. Everything about the Raptors was cooler after We the North. It's one of the most successful ad campaigns of all time. It's just incredible, still to this day. The fact that someone like Gary Trent Jr. gets traded here and immediately says We the North in his first media conference, like, there's no other team. What do you get traded to? You don't go to the Knicks... What do you say? You go, "I'm happy to be in Nick. I I love New York." That's it. You don't have a thing. There's no catchphrase for the team. You talk about, what about are the, the Celtics. Mecca. I, I Yeah, right. It's the Mecca. You're right. But yeah, I, we the North. just that's going to stick. I I really do believe that'll stick basically forever. So, sports. Recorded Raptors, watched Blue Jays, and that Leafs game was just how many more of those do we have to go? So there's a week before Felino, so that's good. Mm-hmm. But, my God.
0: No more points. <laughs> ban there's the There's a flames. couple.
1: No, ban just these game. Like, that's what I'm saying. Start the playoffs. There should have just been an out clause for the year. Like, hey, Canucks all got COVID. They're out. Sens are scrappy. Fine. The Sens will send you down to America, and you can play in a little tournament with the – rest of the scrappy teams that for whatever reason didn't sell and flames boy yeah that's just if if you look like the flames right now that's just not a very fun watch and that's what the leafs did they kind of matched their energy that was just not a very fun hockey game I, I i'm not very confident in daniel riddick i am confident in how to say his name though because i saw no, that not youtube his first video First because around.
0: you just called him daniel
1: I know, I've done that a million times. But last name, Riddick, I've got that right. I dude, I went on Calgary Radio and called him Daniel Riddick like twenty five times. I do I don't know why I do that. I don't know why he's Daniel Riddick to me when his nickname is Big Save Dave. But it happens. Yes. It's one of those things where it happened in my brain right away and now it sticks forever. But every time the puck went on it, I was terrified. Every every single time I I all I could think was, okay, you're better than Hutch, but mm, how much better? <laughs> <laughs> How if if Hutchinson had better branding, if he was Hutch the Clutch or something, you know, or who knows? But if he had a cooler nickname, would they have even traded for Big Save Dave? Who I just I, every time the puck was funneled towards the net, I my heart stopped.
0: He made all the saves, but yeah, there was one <clears throat> moment in the second period, Anderson with a shot, and it got right through David Riddick and went just wide. So you can't fault him in the game. Like, there's not a single goal that happened in that hockey game that you can put on David Riddick. We got uh, Lucic feeding Valimaki wide open at the side of the net where there's a complete defensive breakdown. There's the Flames looking like the Leafs are supposed to look on the power play, and Linholm gets a wide open look in the slot, puts it home, and then the overtime goal – where there's a breakdown. and I, I People love to criticize defensive play on three-on-three on three overtime. I, I can't do it. You're j- just trying to score. And if it results in a bad-looking goal against, that's you live with it.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it's
0: just – I'm
1: not going to – there was a lot of Morgan Riley buzz going around yesterday, though. And I will say that that power play, that's about as bad as it's ever looked in terms of just what were they doing? When you can't gain the zone for four minutes in a row, it's a pretty eye-opening experience for a power play that's struggling. Dump it in. Just do something different. The same entry thing at the blue line over and over and over again, just chopping it around, and they're beating the puck into a square. It's uncomfortable to watch the power play at this point is uncomfortable to watch where i would almost be thinking okay screw it we're putting all those the guys at the bottom of the roster down on this thing That's they're gonna dump a chase they're gonna chip it in we're gonna let them all just play because what's the point put put all of the guys that you didn't think could play on there out there it's awful to watch it's an awful experience just watching them struggle over and over and over and over, and over again to, to gain the blue line
0: Ugh. I'm going to ask you the question that I asked the Twitter masses yesterday. How long would the power play have to be before you took at minus 100 odds Hmm. the Leafs scoring a goal at $100? I said $20, but the $20 doesn't do it for you. $100 you have to put down on the Leafs scoring a goal. How long would the power play have to be? Because it's obviously longer than four. But they were starting to figure it out. By the end of the four minutes, they had their best chances with like 30 seconds to go in the four-minute power play. My answer was 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I got I, I don't think it'd be 10 minutes, but I think I got to get a six minute five to six minute power play for sure. But then, honestly, I know that once the first two, three minutes had concluded of my power yeah. play, I'd be thinking, what the hell was oh, I, doing I betting it on this? Why is this was a sucker's <laughs> bet? Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't be feeling too good about it. Um, I'm supposed to be excited about Nick Robertson. And I'm supposed to watch that game thinking, oh, well, at least they're throwing Leafs fans a bone here, throwing Nick Robertson into the game. So we have something to really watch and pay attention to. Spezza gets the night off. I'm assuming still that he's fine. Yeah, um, fine. And the Leafs are fine. But I have a take I regret immediately, which was the Leafs should have given Nick Robertson a look over Alex Galchenyuk because Alex Galchenyuk is a way better hockey player than Nick Robertson is right now. How many goals do you think Nick Robertson had down in the AHL based on like the hype that he has gotten recently. I know I put it in the lineup, but maybe you didn't read it.
0: Well, I'm looking at it right now. I actually didn't yeah. know you put it in the lineup until you said that, and I didn't mean to, but I looked directly at it. So don't mm-hmm. ask me.
1: So Nick Robertson played 14 AHL games this year. He had three goals, and this is someone who has been branded as the goal scorer, and he's a goal scorer's goal scorer. And yeah, I'm, th- this is, I want to say this very clearly. The, I have no clue about what Nick Robertson is going to be. I've seen him... at in the NHL for little little bits, right? He had a real promising game in the preseason where he hit a where he shot a puck very, very hard, and it was a highlight reel goal at a time where we get very, very excited about hockey. He had a shift, I guess?
0: Yeah no, to start it was the shift. season? He had one shift where, because it was his yeah. second shift he got hurt.
1: Yeah. And his shift was a good one. He got in the playoffs last year and he didn't look like he quite belonged, but I think he was 19 or even younger, potentially. And he went into the offseason. He worked very, very hard. But he was a big story this offseason. And he was a big story for a lot of the regular season. The idea that this guy could come up and, and give you really strong minutes right away. Or that this guy was right there for you. And if something happened in your top six, he could come and fill in. He was an option before the trade deadline. I think it's pretty clear that part of the reason that they were so desperate to go get Nick Foligno so desperate to add a forward to this group is because the guys behind Galchenyuk are not that appealing. They moved off Barabanov, which is fine. It was kind of the the under-the-radar thing that happened at the deadline, but... Nick Robertson's not ready for NHL playoffs. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a guy who's had to deal with injury this year and had a slow season, but his skating does not look up to par. He still looks slow. I know he's playing down on a line with guys that you – what are you supposed to show when you're playing with Sabarin, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to pop. But to me, the, the, skate, the stride is strange. I've texted this to you a couple times. Like, he's really hunched over. He does not look mm-hmm. explosive.
0: He definitely and, looks hunched over.
1: Yeah, well, there's no doubt about that. But – you got you to gotta be putting the puck in the back of the net at a pretty consistent rate. You got to prove that you're a real goal scorer again before you're getting looks at the NHL level. So I still think he's a really important piece of the franchise moving forward. My only point is that the blind faith I had in his ability to step in there and be as good as Galchenyuk or better was wrong. And Galchenyuk continues to just impress me where, again, I don't want to see him in the top six. But I'm really, really impressed that he has turned his career from getting traded by the Senators and being just, what, outright essentially released by Carolina in that deal. Because what they get back from Toronto? Like it was a nothing-nothing. Yep. I think they got Korshkov.
0: That's a yeah, – it was corn cob. Yep.
1: Yeah. That, that he is – he's got himself another NHL contract with this run. And he's like – he's playing hard every game.
0: The general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs said explicitly his deadline dealings were impacted by how – Well, Alex Galchenyuk had played for the Mm -hmm. Toronto Maple Leafs. So any prognosticating about what the Maple Leafs lines are going to look like in the postseason, if you don't have Alex Mm -hmm. Galchenyuk in there, you're, I mean, that's your own business, but he's in there. Like, that's that's pretty clear at this point. And to the Nick Robertson point... I, I, I want to push back, obviously, with the the number of shifts and the number of minutes and the line mates and yada, yada, yada. But we've seen guys produce with nine minutes. I mean, Jason Spezza routinely gets nine, ten minutes a game and is able to impact the game in meaningful ways.
1: But no, yes. but I'm not even asking about the production because that is to me that is unfair to ask a guy to come in and say,
0: oh, you better score Nick Robertson if you want to prove
1: No, I'm just saying that there weren't really any moments where the guy popped. And it's a... Uh, Game that was pretty sleepy against a team that's out of the playoffs. And so, yeah, just to have a little bit of a moment where I notice you outside of just the fact that you hunch over when you skate. So that's all. Again, this is not an indictment of the player whatsoever. I think Nick Robertson is going to be fine. The Leafs continue to be high on him. It's great that they didn't move him at the deadline. But my only thought is that if you have to ask Nick Robertson to play for you in the playoffs, it's it's really not going to be a good thing. It's going to be a very, very desperate play that potentially was two injuries.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not a situation. I mean, he's going to get more looks, though. But that's Sure. Keep getting looks.
1: Why not? Dude, they, this whole stretch run, uh, the idea that these guys are going to need a million games to find chemistry, the only guy they need to figure that out with is felino But again, right. felino is a veteran's veteran. He's not going to have a difficult time. He's got to go out and do what he does. If you want to go back to the Dubis thing, it's the same thing where Kyle said we're expecting he come in here and do what he was doing in Columbus, mm-hmm. which is hit everything that moves, play tough hockey, play responsible hockey, be one of the more reliable offensive for- or defensive forwards in the NHL, mm-hmm. and keep the chemistry in the room tight as it is. Mm-hmm. Bang in the odd goal. Pretty... Yep. Low bar. Yeah. It's why it's going to be frustrating again when people look at the points at the end and say the Leafs gave up a first-round pick for four goals of Felino or whatever it's going to end up being, right? Three goals of Felino.
0: No, the uh, end goal is going to justify whatever they gave up for mm-hmm. Nick Felino. But, yes, we're going to see more of this. Jason Spezza sits. Uh, I get it on a back end of back Good. backs, and he was supposed to do that, but they couldn't do it because of cap Uh, Issues because they were trying to build up cap space headed towards the deadline. But yeah, Freddie Anderson's on LTIR right now. You don't have to worry about accumulating cap space. I would imagine Joe Thornton's going to get a day off. Maybe we even see a situation where Zach Bogosian goes out. I think we're going to see Rasmus Sandin. This is what this season's about. Leafs know they're entrenched in a playoff spot. They know they're pretty well entrenched in first place. Even if they're not, they don't really care all that much. We're going to see some mixing and matching. We're going to see some experimenting. We're going to see maybe... Even some more ice time for uh, Nick Robertson going forward, so we'll be able to judge great. his play even more Good. going forward.
1: Good. Prove me wrong. Go out there and have some children. games that you look great and that you look a lot more NHL ready, and maybe that's just simply what it is. To me, I'm, I'm just interested in where they put Felino and how quickly he can acclimate himself to that that line, whatever yep. line that is. Yep. Uh, how quick it's going to fit, how quick he can make the fit work, how quick he can get his skating all the way back—all those things. That's that's it. That's I don't know what else you could care about at this point other than leaf staying healthy. The power play is secondary to me, where I think, hey, I'd really like to have this clicking before the playoffs. That would be pretty important. Hard to imagine winning a Stanley Cup if your play if your power play can't score and you've got a whole bunch of skilled players, but. Outside of that, yeah, it's just it's really hard to watch these games right now and have takes. Like, what what am I supposed to say about this game? Yeah, they didn't care. Why? Because yeah. they were playing a Flames team. It felt like a preseason game. Down. It really did. It felt like a pre... Yeah. It felt as though they would made them play the preseason for months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what that game, the energy was in, in the building.
0: Well, luckily, that's it for the Flames. No more Flames games for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, hey. All right.
1: Sweet. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we still uh, have, I think, four Canucks games, but yeah.
1: So like I said, we just talked to Joe Panic about Madison Bumgarner and how he'll live forever. He'll live forever in collective sports memory because they didn't go to the charts. They just let a guy pitch. And that the World Series last year was ruined because they went to the charts and they took away a moment that Blake Snell worked his entire life for. And if it was up for people like Ian Tulloch... We wouldn't have Nick Felino in this fine city. We wouldn't have the guy who is in a minivan with his three kids having ice cream and who everyone says is the toughest guy to play against and who's a heart and soul guy, who's a captain of a team. Because those things don't matter to Ian Tullock. Those things don't matter in his reality. In his reality it's just, you know, zero one zero zero one one zero one and he says all the zeros and ones say Taylor Hall and that's all that matters, beep boop beep boop. And he joins us now to explain why. Thanks a lot for trying to ruin sports, Ian. Thanks.
2: That's why I'm here. By the way, yeah. Kyle Dubis, yeah. I think backed up that Blake Nell, Blake Snell decision to pull him yeah, early yeah, in the game. The analytics GM that you seem yeah. to be praising for the Polino trade.
1: The uh, guy says it. He says to talk it in about private this any
2: more than you do. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Kyle Dubis. He's like, "Oh, I like that decision. No, that's a smart decision." And then he's like, "Yeah, but I'm going to go out and get Joe Thornton, who can't move, and I'm going to go out and get Wayne Simmons." I'm going to go out and get Nick Foligno. Do you feel betrayed by Kyle Dubas? Like, do the people of the analytics community feel like your savior has stabbed you in the back and, war- and now- because he now worships at the altar of reasonability?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if I can speak for everyone who uses analytics to try to guide their decision-making. Yes, you can.
1: That's why you're on.
2: (laughs) Yeah, if that's what I'm doing here, then I guess you could look at a pattern of guys like Wayne Simmons or Zach Bogosian and ask yourself, oh, are we leaning too far in this one direction? You know, intangibles, grit, physicality, but... With Nick Foligno, at least he's providing that in a way that is effective at 5-on-5. Five five. We have a large sample that shows that he's an elite defensive player. This year, the results are a bit of a mixed bag, but his situation in Columbus, I think you can look at the context there and make an evaluation that says, okay, over the last however many years, five, ten years, Nick Foligno's been an elite defensive player. That's a trait that tends to age really well. So I think Nick Felino's going to be a very good add to this Leafs team. He was actually number two in the players I was ranking in terms of who I wanted them to add. It just so happens mm-hmm. that at the top of that list is the player who destroys hockey for you, JD. And because he only has two goals this season, he's not a good hockey player anymore. I thought stats, uh-huh.
1: I thought numbers matter to you. I guess not the ones using cherry pick your numbers, but okay. Yeah. Two goals doesn't matter, but slot chances do go on.
2: Yeah. Okay. So you know about the slot chances, you know, about the high yeah. danger path oh, through the middle of the ice, you know, all about the yeah. zone exits and the zone yeah. entries. I think, all of us do by this point. We've seen it all. But whenever I'm evaluating a hockey player and I try to look at what's your impact on the outcome of a game, I try to take it all into account. And if you look at teams like, say, the Colorado Avalanche, I really like what they've done over the last couple of years. And the argument that I've heard Justin Bourne bring up and Kevin Bieksa bring up is that the Leafs right now they're too rush oriented. They need to diversify their offense a bit more by creating more cycle chances, by getting to the middle of the X, finding guys who will battle for that position at the net front, like a Nick Felino will, like a Wayne Simmons will. And then the counter argument to that is, well, look at what Colorado did. They had a Sam Girard, They had a Kale McCarr in the back end, elite puck movers. You can say they don't need any more puck moving. Just add someone who's good defensively to the roster. That's the way to balance things out. They didn't. They added Devin Taves, who's also another elite puck mover, and that's allowed them to be the best puck-moving team in the NHL. I think they leaned into their strength. They knew what they were, and, they, and, they, and when you look at some of the best teams in sports history, they find a strength that they're better at than any other team, and they really lean into it. I think there's an argument to be made that if Taylor Hall comes into this Leafs team, you're the best attacking team off the rush in the NHL, and even though Nick is going to make you a way better defensive team, and now you can win in a more balanced way, I think there's more than one way to win in sports, and I think if you add Taylor Hall to your roster, he's the better player overall than Nick Fellino who improves your chances of winning. But I'm sure you disagree with me, so let's get into this yeah. discussion.
1: Well, so first of all, I am being facetious, and yeah, I the reason that I wanted to have you on today is because you're the most credible person I saw with this take. And yeah, you know, I like to needle you all the time about the number stuff when it suits me. I'm the ultimate confirmation bias guy. You know that when you get texts from me and that's <laughs> and so forth and so on. But yeah, I wanted to have you on because I actually thought that there was a little bit too much um groupthink that was happening with the people that are behind Felino. My my case is just pretty clear, which is okay, so do I think Taylor Hall is as bad as he's been in Buffalo? No. Do I think that if Taylor Hall came here that he would be a negative impact player? No. I also think, though, that the price was higher for him to come to Toronto. That if Buffalo was on his list and he was coming here, that the first round pick would have been going out the door. It wouldn't have been a second. It wouldn't have been something like that. The price of acquisition was higher. So when we're comparing the apples and apples to the draft pick stuff, I think it's kind of irrelevant because... Yeah, it was we we know that there were different asking points for different places, and we know that Felino had a, our, our story that both those players had control of their situations. My thing is is that Kyle Dubas has had the same theory as you, where he says there's not just one way to win. I'm going to try to win a different way, and that's overwhelming with skill. And they tried that last year. They, tr- they did, and they've been trying it ever since Kyle Dubas has been general manager. And guess what it's resulted in? Getting into these playoff moments where people have said, hey, they need to have more versatility. Hey, they need to be tougher to play against. And I, I-, I tweeted this, but I thought it was very telling at the time that when the Leafs got bounced, everybody said, we need to be tougher to play against. And normally the PR staffs, they basically come out and they give those guys like the party line of what they need to say and what's going to be easy and help them out. But that one actually resonated with me, that the Leafs were not a hard team to play against. And now they are. And they continue to load up on guys like that. And Felino, the part that I do believe is missing is they're – are off-ice things. And it's not that Taylor Hall isn't a different guy than he was when he started his career. I don't know. When he started his career, it was there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that was not overly great for him. And there was a lot of stuff flying around that absolutely contributed to his exit and the reason why people just pasted the Oilers for making that trade. And you take a guy like that, uh, a guy who is Taylor Hall, and put him into a room where they say it's all-time tight versus a guy like Nick Foligno, and what Nick Foligno is going to do on this team And what you're going to ask of him Which is, Kyle Dubas said about Felino, I know I'm going on, I'm going to wrap this up Kyle Dubas said the thing about Felino at his media conference was He just needs Nick Felino to do what Nick Felino does And to stay the same guy And if you brought in Taylor Hall You didn't need Taylor Hall just to be the same guy he was in Buffalo You needed him to be more And I think that element is lost a lot When we look at things as why we want a player Because of slot chances and zone entries and all that other stuff
2: yeah, and you brought up a lot of good points, so I'll try to touch on a few of them, but when you're sure, talking I know. I about I talked for a
1: long time, my bad.
2: Add, hey, I do it too, man. You know me. We're talking. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll try to get to the bottom of this here with uh, the Leafs trying to add a player who fits a certain need for them. When you look at failing to attack teams off the rush in the playoffs. So I know that was a big mm-hmm. point you brought up. They tried against Columbus. They clogged up the neutral zone. They weren't able to get through. Look at the Leafs last couple games without William Nylander. They can't gain the zone. It's troubling. Look at them on the power play. They can't gain the zone. It's weird players with this much skill you'd think would be able to gain the zone a bit better, but I keep coming back to Colorado because they're my favorite example of how to build a roster Tampa Bay over the last decade is probably another team where I, that's my philosophy in terms of how I look at evaluating players. So it's going to make me a bit more biased towards the Taylor Hall types as opposed to the Nick Foligno types. And, that doesn't mean that Nick Foligno without value. I think he's an excellent defensive player. But getting back to how do you maximize your chances of winning in a playoff series when you're a team who is generating most of their offense off the rush. I think Washington had that uh, issue over the last decade. They, they're a rush-based team. They don't win the scoring chance battle. They don't win the shot differential battle. But because of their ability to generate more quality shots off the rush, they beat you. And that's how they won their Stanley Cup by outscoring teams off the rush. Pittsburgh with Phil Kessel on that third line. I think he's another example of a guy who character concerns, locker room concerns, but he's a good hockey player. And he was coming off of a career worst year in Toronto and he got traded to Pittsburgh and won two Stanley Cups there. So, but we, career worst wasn't thing. as bad
1: as Taylor Hall this year, right? Like we can say that though. Yeah, like it was I'll give you, like, that. That's,
2: I'll give you yeah. that. This Buffalo season's been an absolute disaster. And if you right. put him at the, the forefront of that list, can I bring up a quick stat about him while we're talking about yeah, yeah. The numbers? Dude, bring up I all you Dude, to... I,
1: I really want you to have the floor to bring up the case for Taylor Hall because I, I do think we've we our show has been dismissive of it, overly dismissive of it.
2: Okay. And for what it's worth, again, I keep hedging this with I like Nick Felino and I think this is gonna be a very good addition we get that. to Toronto's roster if i'm just specifically talking about taylor hall when he played with jack eichel this year they controlled about two-thirds of the shots and chances at five on five the pucks weren't going in i get it i know the pucks weren't going in then they moved him off that line and the pucks really weren't going in so I, when i try to look at okay who's impacting the outcome of the game here who's getting the puck from defense to offense who's breaking down players and I know that the zone exit and zone entry guys aren't the the fanciest guys that the people in the media tend to like rooting for, but in the past, I've bet on guys like Kevin Fiala, William Nylander, Nikolai Ehlers, and even when it's looking bad, when it's looking like they're struggling, they're not providing any impact on the outcome of the game when they're not producing, but eventually those chances go in, and if you can have more players who can score and create those high-level passes and transition, I think scoring helps you win, and even though... Nick Felino doesn't score as much as Taylor Hall. He can provide that value in other areas like you brought up. But I think just because we're describing the past of what Taylor Hall has done, I don't think that's an accurate reflection of, of what he's going to do in the future. And if we're trying to predict player performance, I think it's a good bet that Taylor Hall is going to perform better than Nick Felino will, even though Nick Felino is an excellent defensive player.
0: Well, what if we ignore the off-ice stuff entirely and we talk about what this team needs more and we just divide these two players into what they do better? Uh, because even the analytics, like you said, will tell you that Nick Felino is a good defender this year, even though the offense has gone down, even though he has five more goals this season than Taylor Hall does. If we say one guy's offense, one guy's defense, wh- what, is this, what does this Leafs team need more of?
2: Yeah, and I think that's a fair point. And defensively, this is the best Leafs team we've seen in in a long time. And improving them defensively is obviously something that you would like to do. Preventing goals helps you win. Just ask the New York Islanders. At the end of the day, I care about goal differential. If one player provides more offense but is slightly below average defense, another player is excellent defensively but provides very little offensively. It's funny, when we talk about a 200-foot player, we'll refer to a defensive specialist who provides no value on offense. But if a guy provides amazing value on offense, but is a bit of a net negative on defense, he, he won't hear the end of it. So I, I think that's maybe a bias that we have towards some of the harder working, gritty type players, even though they do matter. And in the playoffs, cycle opportunities are more prevalent than rush opportunities. But you can also make an argument that because they're so sparse, That's why it's at such a premium to have players who can break down defenses in those instances. And the players who can do that tend to be point per game, elite zone entry, elite playmaking through the middle of the ice. And and Taylor Hall has been that throughout his career. So this is why, if I'm just specifically evaluating the player, I'm still high on him, even though his shooting percentage was super low this year. I just think forecasting the future, he's going to perform better than a lot of us have been willing to admit in the media and I get it. I get a lot of the concerns that come worse. with him. Yeah, this is the worst-case scenario for him this season. But I still think that he's an effective hockey player.
0: You uh, better be, or else uh, it's a troubling sign for his uh, future earning potential going into a free agent. I still year. think
1: he'll get paid by somebody because of the reasons that Ian's outlining. It's just it's hard to find guys with those skill sets and when they're free agents, right? It's just maybe, especially guys where you would almost assume that Hall would still be doing one-year deals, right? He already just took a one-year deal with Buffalo, so his free agent commands or or his demands are not as high as they could have been because that's just not a real thing. You and I have talked about this, that guys in their prime, whenever fans usually come up with the, well, what if they do a one-year deal with this guy and then the next year? It's like, yeah, because guys want contract. They want term. They want stability. He did it already, so maybe – Maybe that backfired for him. Maybe he doesn't want to do it anymore. But I also look at it and say, mm, the likelihood is is that he probably will once again accept more money and forego term and bet on himself. Like I don't see that being off the table. So, you mentioned the power play, though, man. So, the zone entries have been a problem. But they were a problem even when they had William Nylander, too, right? He hasn't been missing for, what is it, 37 power plays now? One of 37, one of 38. I've lost count. Like, honestly, I just kind of check out. They keep throwing the number up there, and I go, yeah, here's the stat. It's bad. (laughs) It's a bad stat. It's really not good. They keep trying to go about it the same way. Ben and I keep doing these same theories. Uh, My theory is that it's a lot of different reasons. It's the zone entries. It's the predictability it's the lack of urgency it's just it's a million different cuts that are happening here how, how do you see it do you see it improving is this something where again we're looking at it and saying statistically this obviously has to get better but is there a reason to believe that it's going to get better anytime soon the way that it's just been currently constituted
2: yeah and the reason that i bring up shooting percentages is because scoring chances and shots tend to be a better predictor of future goals so if you're trying to assess okay what's this going to look like when Some of the puck luck balances out. That's what you really care about. And the Leafs haven't been generating as many shots and chances over the last month. It's been bad. They haven't been able to gain the zone. You brought up a lot of things just there, that puck movement's a bit predictable, especially when you have a Joe Thornton or a Wayne Simmons playing on the top unit. They haven't been doing that as much lately. So I'm glad that that stopped. So if we're we're looking at what this would look like in the playoffs, let's, let's think of a Toronto PP1 unit that works. Morgan Riley's going to be at the top. We all expect that. Matthews and Marner will be on that unit. Tavares is the bumper is probably where he's at his best. And then who's the fifth player? I think it needs to be William Nylander and that you just throw your five best players on the ice and find a way to make quick plays that the other team can't stop. You can make an argument for Wayne Simmons. You can make an argument to have a Hyman there. He's the guy they have on the ice in late-game situations when they really need a goal. They have him go right to the net, have him win all the puck battles, and then have the skill on the perimeter. So... I can see the case for it, but I think having more talent out there and having a lander kind of work the goal line, Marner work the goal line a little bit better. We've seen a few more teams try this. The uh, Winnipeg Jets last night, they had a really cool play where they moved behind the net to get the defense shifting, and it's one of those things where you get the goaltender on their goal line, you get the defense turning their heads, and it opens up more passing lanes to the top, so... I think if you throw more talent on the ice and you get your five best players out there, it opens up more of those options. So, I know that's a crazy thing to say, hey, put five good players on the ice and let it happen, but I, I it's just shocked me that it, it that they haven't been going for that this year. I think they need to. I think that's what's going to get this thing going eventually.
0: They've done it occasionally, though, right? And even still, they haven't gotten the results. They've tried a lot of different things during this slump because, of course, you have to. It's ridiculous what's happened here. They've tried firing more pucks from the point, from deeper out and getting rebounds and chopping them in. They've tried, I guess, a couple of times the the dump and chase stuff. Maybe that's the one that they haven't done nearly as much of. They've loaded up the top unit. It's one of those things... Okay, Sheldon Keefe says it's 100% mental, but would either of you be shocked if, like, day one of the playoffs, they get a couple of power plays and they score on both of them? Like, it it just feels like one of these days it's just going to crack open and there's not going to be any sense to it. It's almost stupid to talk about because it makes no sense. You have the most skilled goal scorer since he stepped onto an NHL ice surface in Austin Matthews on the power play. That alone should be good enough, but then you've got one of the best setup men in all of hockey with him either way. I, I don't even care. Who the other three guys are That should be enough to score on the power play That, that it hasn't happened Makes no sense And I'm just going to throw my hands up and say uh, It's going to end at some point
2: Sometimes that's how puck luck works. Sometimes guys just go on heaters. Uh, to start a lot of seasons, Austin Matthews usually starts out with a couple power play goals, and the Leafs are clicking at 40% to start the year. So they haven't gone through that stretch lately, obviously. To me, the, the concerning trend is they're not gaining the zone, and that results in them not putting up the shots and scoring chance numbers that we're used to seeing in years past. I know some yeah. people have brought up, hey, go back to the Jim Hiller style, where it's Marner running it from the right wall, and you just quickly either go for the bumper to the middle for the little flat pass or you go down low and you just converge on the rebound and you simplify your game and just there are different approaches and I've heard good arguments on a lot of different sides of this debate because it's one that the least need to figure out how to fix you can't have your four most talented players make this much money and your power play not be a top five power play in the league you need to get this thing clicking so I think the way to do that is quicker puck movement gain the zone start with gaining the zone I don't know which uh, player is going to be your zone entry wizard? They seem to want Matthews and Marner doing it. I'm wondering if giving Nylander a few more of those opportunities when he comes back, kind of like Nick Ehlers does on Winnipeg, just give him the puck, load up. And when we're talking about these zone entries, it helps to have a guy who can just burst through a defense and then make the quick mm-hmm. pass. So if they can gain the zone at a better rate, and again, I think you do that by putting more talent on the ice, I think it's going to increase their chances of scoring just by by sheer volume. They'll be in the zone more often. And then, like you said, a couple Matthew shots are going to go in in a, in a small stretch of time, and we're not going to be talking about this anymore. But they need to start getting the zone at a better rate.
1: Yeah, I think it's actually Nylander's best skill, and so finding more ways to utilize that is a good thing. So, yeah, I I really think that this is certainly a case where more Nylander makes sense. So we, we can debate the Hall versus Felino thing all we want, but the Leafs are where they are. And we didn't ask you, where do you put them? Because... Some people are so down on Felino's offense that they think that he's a third-line player. I certainly don't see it that way, but when you're looking at... I think it's a two-part question. One is how effective you think Galchenyuk has been and whether that is going to project to continue moving forward, especially when it's, frankly, harder games. And two, whether you think that Felino can handle what's going to be, I, I would assume, 18-plus minutes a night if he's going to be playing with Tavares and Nylander in a playoff series.
2: Yeah, and I'd imagine he gets some power play time on PP2, and you know they're going to have him out there in the penalty kill, so those minutes add up. I remember this used to happen with Leo Komarov all the time. You'd look at him and wonder, wait, how did he end up with 20-plus minutes in this game? Well, When you're in a lot of high-leverage minutes, you tend to get used a lot, so I wouldn't be shocked if Nick Felino's playing against the other team's best players quite often in the playoffs, whether that's on a second line with John Tavares or more of a third-line checking role with uh, Engvall Mikheyev. I've heard some good arguments my personal favorite is Felino with Tavares, just based on what they can do off the cycle in the offensive zone. Last night, Tavares had maybe his best game in the offensive zone, just in terms of him beating guys one-on-one off the cycle. He looked like the John Tavares that you pay $11 million for in free agency. He was doing the things that you know he's capable of doing. It was frustrating to start the year when Tavares didn't quite look like John Tavares. He wasn't breaking guys down one-on-one. He wasn't making dynamic plays with the puck on his stick. He's doing it more often now in the offensive zone. So his ability to win in tight spaces and get the puck to those dangerous areas, I think alongside a Nick Felino type, that'll have a lot of value. Uh, you might even be able to play a Zach Hyman on that line as well and turn it into a super checking line and then open up some more skill in other areas. There's a bunch of things you could do with Nick Felino, which is what makes him so interesting as a player. I, I can't wait to evaluate some of these games over the next month just to see is he better in a top six role Where he's playing With some of your More skilled players Is he better On a hard check line I know you brought up Maybe throw him With Riley Nash And just use them All defensive zone starts Against the other team's Top six And that's what you like About Felino. He's a versatile player And that's what he's Going to provide To this team So personally I would try him On that Tavares line And see if he can Get that to click Because I think That would be the best Use of his talents And then you get Tavares Nylander More minutes Maybe Keith starts mm-hmm. Playing them more than 16 minutes a night But uh, yeah Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what he can do because without the puck and on the forecheck and defensively, he's going to help every single line he's on. He's very similar to Zach Hyman in that regard.
1: Yeah, the Nylander-Tavares thing has been weird all year for the main reason being we can all agree that Tavares has been far more responsibly or defensively responsible and there's a lot of numbers to back that up. The offense hasn't been there. I think it's been overall, kind of considering he's an $11 million guy and the captain, it's been a bit of a bad season, but understated how good he's had a 200-foot game still. To me, Nylander has been much more consistent. I know that the scoring numbers are basically on pace with everything that he's ever done. But just the play in general, the effort, and again, 200 feet, it's been better and more consistent, which would lead me to believe that they would get more ice time no matter what. They haven't been, though. They haven't been given that ice time. You put Felino there, I think that you you have to bump it up. I actually love the Hyman, Felino Tavares idea. I've seen Mikheyev with those guys. like, And I know, again, it hasn't been very much. But to me, it just it fits. All of it fits, having guys. And this has been Chris Versteeg's idea all along, is put him... Put Tavares with guys who go to the dirty areas that save him a little bit of that effort and allow him to be in front of the net a little bit more. And I kind of buy the theory. I'd like to see it. And the question is, can you load up the top line with Nylander, Matthews, and Marner? And my theory is always if you put great players with great players that it's going to work out. I don't see why it wouldn't. Um are you opposed to that idea? We've talked before that Nylander probably doesn't get enough credit for being a playmaker and that he could obviously seamlessly fit in there. Maybe it ends up resulting in what he's wanted all along, which is shooting more. Like, How do you think that could operate? Does it leave you too thin in your bottom six?
2: It might. I know they've top-loaded the top six in the past, gone with a real top six, bottom six approach. Kind of the way that they've allocated the defensive minutes, too. Their top four play a bunch of minutes, and the bottom pairing doesn't play very much. In the playoffs, I'm not sure how much that fourth line is going to be playing, especially in a high-leverage game where if you have an Austin Matthews-Mitch Marner line, they're going to be getting their 24 minutes or whatever it is. How many minutes is Tavares playing in these games? In, in high leverage playoff games, he getting twenty minutes? He has to least get in there. That's
1: the way that they're bro- That's the way that they're broken down. Is that they? Here, here's. This is what I found interesting about the deadline. Is we're all fretting and concerning over whether Freddie Anderson can come back and get dropped into a playoff series and what it's going to look like, even though he can get a conditioning stint. But I-, I think every rational person agrees that you'll take Riley Nash over Pierre Engvall, ice cold, having been on the shelf for months, immediately. Like you'll go with
0: the messed up uh, knee or whatever. I
1: could be told that Riley Nash is at 75%. I'd take him over Engval in a heartbeat for those like eight to 10 minutes a game. But as of right now, yeah. Every minute that you play Engval without having Hyman on the same line as him, it's just like, that's a non-starter for me in the playoffs. So you've got, uh, what I think would be a fine offensive zone line where it would be Galchenyuk and Spetsa together, see what those two can do. And then the third guy, we'll see. There's You can make a case for anybody. To me, it's basically all the same variation of not ideal. But the bottom group is just one where you've got to shelter them heavily, 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 because it's just, yeah, it's uh, you, you can't have Engvall playing down the middle in the playoffs. I think it's a nightmare. He's going the wrong way all the time.
2: With Mikhaev, he seems to work well. I know alongside Hyman, yeah. that trio has worked well, but outside yeah, of that better. trio, it yeah. hasn't looked great. Yeah, so I hear you. If, if he's not playing on that hemline, if he's not stapled to Mikhaev's hip, and they're being their six foot five long stick disruptive selves trying to do their kind of NBA wing defender intimidation techniques in the neutral zone, it, it's effective, but it's boring to watch, and he provides very little value offensively after he crosses the blue line. So. What are your ideal third-line combinations looking like? Because I'm thinking, okay, if you have Matthews-Marner line, you have DeVar's-Nielander line, is Hyman on your third line or are you going with uh, more of a top-loaded, top-six approach? See,
1: I like top-six loaded. It's just that it leaves you with awkward questions like, okay, if I'm putting Spezza with uh, Galchenyuk, then who's the other guy on that line? Because I think Mikheyev is the other best player on the team when it comes to, like, the guy that's right behind them. But I don't know if he's the best fit with that group. And so I'd be like, okay, where do I put Mikheyev? How many minutes is he getting a night? Is he less, more on the penalty kill? Is he playing with, you know, Kerfoot and somebody else down on a fourth line? And Simmons? I don't know. So I, I, I don't mind the having your bottom six be not so great because i think that you can give offensive zone starts to a galchenyuk spezza group and and they'll produce for you the odd time and ultimately i just want to have the 40 minutes a night from my six best players and i think those are my six best players
2: yeah i mean you could find a way to get galchenyuk in your top six and then that frees up hyman to maybe play on a third line or felino to play on a third line that you trust in more high leverage minutes, but then that leaves your fourth line, not getting very many minutes. And I know you talk about sheltering Jason Spets and how he only plays about 10 minutes a night, but He's the 5v5 points per 60 liter, baby. So that's oh, a- I'm not saying I, I think he
1: needs to be sheltered. I'm saying that's the way that they've been using him. I love Spetsa. If, if there was, when they do this Amazon series, if there was questions that I could have answered, it's why Spetsa hasn't been put in more evidence. Like, they do the Thornton thing again last night, where they put Thornton up on the top six, and God bless him because I've been a huge Joe Thornton fan my entire life. He's I would say one of the biggest reasons why I want the Leafs to win a cup this season is for him to get one. But like he can't play anymore. It's just it's it's just very clear that he can't move, he can't play, he's not he's not even a shadows of a shadow of what he used to be. So why they've done this so many times and never really spets it like in game they'll put spets up sometimes when he's just like buzzing and nobody else is. But overall, the way that they've protected a player who I think is five years younger than Thornton and who's been infinitely better than Thornton and haven't given him a look with the top six. And like, why does Alex Galchenyuk get a look to play with those guys and not Spezza at some point? I just, it's been weird to me that they haven't used Spezza more and they they haven't used him in more situations when again, he's been in, he has been effective in all of them. I think he's been the Leafs sixth best player this year.
2: Yeah, and if you look at the production that lines up with that, whoever he plays with, they produce really well. Every time. I get that he's, he's not good defensively, and I get that. You want to shelter him, and he's old. But we could say the same thing about Joe Thornton, and he seems to keep getting opportunities. And Like you said, he needs some rest. I wonder what he would look like if he got a one- or two-week vacation and then got to come back a bit rejuvenated, similar to Marlowe when there was about a five-day off stretch in the regular season, yeah, and he actually looked like do. a good player again. If they did that, it would work really well. I'm not sure if they're prepared to do it. Actions speak louder than words, and they've yet to fall out of the lineup. So we'll see what happens on that end.
0: Yeah, I think And now that the deadline's passed, I think we're probably going to see a little bit more of that, especially on back-to-backs. Uh, Ian?
1: Well, here's the thing. They have to because they're they're not keeping Thornton in the lineup over Mikhaev, Felino, Hyman, Galchenyuk, like go, you can't even keep him in the lineup over Kerfoot. By the way, Kerfoot should shoot more. That was a nice goal last night. I give him a hard time because he never shoots. It's like, dude, if you can shoot it like that, shoot it more. <laughs> like maybe. Yeah. Stop yeah. looking to pass all the time.
2: Yep, yeah,
0: it's true. Uh Ian, great job, buddy. Good uh, stuff, Go man. charts. See ya. Hey,
2: I'll go back to my charts. Thanks for listening to my Taylor Hall blast me. I appreciate it, guys. It
1: was, it was. hard, but we did. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> See, dude. <laughs> Ian, Del- good work.
2: Uh, Leece Ryder.
0: Uh yeah, made his case. Understand mm-hmm. that's the thing. I I don't know. Is there a... didn't denigrate Nick Foligno. That's the there are numbers. The chart people have charts that say Nick Felino's a good defender. And I get the point about leaning into something you do well. I would argue that this team does a pretty good job of playing two hundred foot game, and they have mm-hmm. pretty good defenders in the forward ranks. So lean hard into that. Get the guy that does the same thing really really well. Have a pretty good top line that scores goals for you, that plays 25 minutes a game, and then just clog up the neutral zone, kill everybody else with your defensive play.
1: The Leafs are better positioned to win, not only because of the division, but the way the team has been built, than ever before in the salary cap era. And a big part of it is because they have top-end skill. But even when the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship... What did we say about that team? They had a star. They had the best player in every series they played in Kawhi Leonard. That was great. But how many conversations did we have about, you know what's so great about this Raptors team? Is that everybody knows their role. Right. Everybody has a job to do. And the pecking order is clear, obvious, and irrefutable. And that's the way I feel about this Leafs team is for many years, there was not the right amount of balance. And when you have guys who value themselves and measure themselves only upon their score, Ian made a great point where he said, hey, it's uh, the bar is lower for guys who are defensive players because they don't actually have to do as much. But you know what else? Their identity is more easily captured and satisfied with the way that they play in a game, right? Nick Felino doesn't need a goal to feel good about the way that he played in a hockey game. You know who does? Kasperi Kapanen. If Kapanen's not scoring, that's why the best Kapanen, when we were having those conversations, it was, oh, wow, he fought. Oh, wow, he was hitting. He was using his speed to actually get guys off balance and make them wonder where he was coming from. He was being annoying. He was adding other elements to his game. That was the problem with the Leafs. Too many guys needed to score. And if they weren't scoring, they were down in the dumps and they were easy to play against. Now they've got a team full of guys where they have top-end talent that all they need to do is supplement that top-end talent with guys who go out and do their roles. Play your role, do your job, win hockey games. The defensive styles that they've brought in this year where they've decided that we're not just going to load up so that we have to have the pressure of scoring five goals a game is a winning formula. They no longer have to score five to win, and that's why people are fretting about the goaltending all the time because it's really the only fly in the ointment. The team construction, the team defense, building from the blue line out is working for them. So I'm not – I shouldn't have – I understand the case for Hall, and I do think that it's a smart one and it's a reasonable one. But to me, my opinion remains the same, which is this is the way the team is going to win. They have enough frontline talent. If you're telling me that the Leafs need more of that, then that's a bigger issue, right? Then it's like, well, what the hell are they doing? Because they're yeah. paying four guys for offense, like half of the cap. <laughs> so figure it out. You've got enough.
0: Yeah, Um keep talking about the Barkley Goodrose and Blake Coleman's of the world. That's what they got. What they're banking on getting not guys yeah. that are going to break games with their offense guys that will will keep the game right where it is. And then Austin Matthews jumps over the boards mm-hmm. every three minutes and you you try and score. And hopefully the power play is not an abomination, which it has been.